Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book. I'm a registered dietitian, now what? Where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Wendy Reinhardt Capsack. She is a registered dietitian who has a passion for knowing what her ideas are, being a nutrition communicator, fruits and vegetables, and is currently the president and CEO of the Produce for Better Health Foundation. Please enjoy my conversation with Wendy. I'm so excited to chat with you. I, I met Katie and she spoke so highly of you and someone I needed to meet. And so thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you for being patient with me today. <laughs> I know you're I know you are a busy human right now, probably all the time, right? For sure. Yes. But so is everyone, <laughs> but so is everybody. <laughs> well, on the podcast, I like to share kind of just the stories and the journeys about registered dietitians. And you mm-hmm. are definitely one of those in a very unique position. So I thought it would be great if you could kind of share your journey from the start of when you were a a little Wendy and kind of navigating the dietitian world and how you kind of ended up to be where you're at right now. Sure. So thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, All right. So as a little baby dietitian, um, I went, um, I originally started out um, wanting to be a surgeon actually. And so like some RDs, I think I wanted to go into the medical field. And uh, so started out pre-med, the whole thing went all the way to the finish of that undergrad degree and long um, extended chemistry, biology, biochemistry, mm-hmm. the extended version uh, journey. And um, and in turn, then uh, just decided my, to, to not pursue that. And the reason why is because my mom actually had terminal cancer. And I realized, you know, I don't really want to be around. Um, I don't want to pursue my dietetic journey in that regard. It wasn't like that then, but just I didn't want to pursue it with helping, per se, let's say, really sick individuals, which is really... Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to focus in my, what would fulfill me the most would be to focus on keeping people really well. And so every dietitian, let's say, has a different journey, a different passion, um, and all your guests have a different path to getting there. For For myself, it was thinking that I really wanted to be a physician and then watching how medicine was changing in, let's say, the early 90s and then um, pursuing then from a personal experience, more of a wellness path versus treating the ill path. And both of them are really important for me. I decided that I wanted to focus more on the well-being side. And that continued um, as then I pursued um, my dietetics degree after a degree in exercise science for my master's. And, um, and then Yale New Haven Hospital has a dietetic internship that's a year long, actually, and that is actually a very clinically at the time focused uh, dietetic internship. So even though I knew I didn't want to pursue that, I still felt that it was very important to have a pretty extensive understanding of uh, because regardless of, of what you do, a lot of dietetics is grounded in that, let's say, 
not just disease risk reduction, but disease treatment approaches. So um, that's how I started as a baby dietitian, not as a dietitian, but wanting to be a physician and then shifting over to a more health and wellness mindset. Well, that's interesting that you brought up your own personal experience too. I think when you have that kind of touch as, you know, terminal cancer is very clinical and it's very medical and kind of shifting from that, from your own family perspective is interesting how that molded you. Sure. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, um, particularly with a helping profession like dietetics is everybody's personal experience might also give way then to their personal philosophy on food and nutrition and how they view um, themselves and their profession in the context of what's needed in the world. So did you know about dietetics then? I mean, did you have any nutrition classes when you were kind of thinking the surgeon route? Uh, I'm trying to think. No, I mean, we, no, um, no, I mean, it was more just, if you think about the early, gosh, I'm so dating myself. Um, the early (laughs) nineties was when, um, food and nutrition. So like the nutrition facts panel, for example, was like new on the scene. Can you believe that? Um, so so was the internet. And, um, and so that, you know, you started to see more and more, let's say, nutrient types of claims, whether they be low fat, for example, if you remember the low fat craze, you know, that was all happening when I was in high school. So those are really formative years, for example, where you start really making your own decisions. So the interest um, in food and nutrition really sparked in high school because I can't believe, again, I'm saying this is that's when the nutrition facts panel was like born. That's when the um, food pyramid was born that, it, you know, and so, um, so for some of us in the Gen X uh, category is we were experiencing for the first time more or ex- being exposed more to, let's say, food and nutrition in, through education um, beginning in high school. Whereas now um, it's, a, it's a generation. My kids are growing up just knowing that food and nutrition exists and it's important and it's a it's like a key part of just having a, a really great, healthy life. So that's kind of a difference from a generational view. It definitely, I'm a Gen Xer. So I totally, I totally yeah. know what you All mean. Right. You know, in high school in the 90s. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you're right. Like it's interesting how it's like nutrition is just part of school. It's just day one. You know, they talk about it as far as in the classroom and in the lunchroom. So I think that's, that's, that's right. a transition that's made. Very Absolutely. Good. It's very good. So after your internship and after you did your very intense clinical internship, what was kind of the job landscape at that point and what were you interested in? You know, it's it's really I think it's really a, an interesting question because when I was in this dietetic internship per se, there was a heavy it was a heavy clinical um, dietetic internship, unlike some of the, you know, make your own dietetic internships that you can uh, established today. Um, but it was very much a kind of a path towards either clinical or let's say kind of more of that hospital food service, school nutrition food service route. And so I was really unique in my dietetic internship from the point of view I had already done through my grad program um, a significant bit of research that was marrying food and nutrition in the school setting with physical activity. And uh, so I knew pretty early on that I wasn't going to pursue a clinical route. So then um, the opportunities that were probably very unique at that point were things like 
food and nutrition communications. And so I, um, during my dietetic internship is I met one of my now mentors. Her name was Sue Bora and Sue Bora, uh, was one of the very, very first actually supermarket dietitians. And she worked for an organization called the food marketing Institute, which is now the food, uh, industry association or Institute. And it's really the, it was essentially what was called at that point, the voice of retail. And, um, and then she also worked for another organization called the International Food Information Council or IFIC. And she came and gave a presentation at a state dietetic association. In this case, I was at Yale New Haven Hospital. So this was the state of Connecticut. And she really was one of the first dietitians that I had met or seen that was not working in clinical, not working in a large scale food service setting, but really working in the food and nutrition communications field and working with lots of different what we, I would call stakeholders. So whether they were the food industry, uh, policymakers, acad academicians, working in the media. Um, and I just thought she was so cool. And I went <laughs> up to her and I was like, Hey, I would just absolutely love to come and intern at, at IFIC in Washington, DC. And I'm, I go, I'm not really quite sure where I'm headed, but I know where I'm not headed and I'm not going to be a clinical dietetics person. And she said, well, I've never been a clinical dietetics person. So I said, well, gosh, I'd really like to come and meet with you. And this just goes to show, you know, when you see an opportunity as a baby dietitian, you to make a connection, to network, you really do, you really do need to take those opportunities. And uh, so she often tells the story, Subora, that that she was just sitting at her desk. She never takes her, she would never take her phone calls directly. She always had an admin kind of screen those calls. And for whatever reason, she decided to pick up the phone and it was me. And <laughs> I said, yeah, remember me? <laughs> you know, I'm that oh dietitian. And I said, I'm really, I have a special interest rotation as part of my internship. I'd really like to come down and intern with you. And she said, okay. And so that was really an opportunity to get to open my own eyes into what was happening, for example, in the Washington, D.C. food and nutrition communications and policy landscape. And from there, I, I did an internship with IFIC, which is um, an educational foundation that talks about a number of different food and nutrition and food safety issues. It's still around today. And then um, I also worked at USDA uh, with the here I go again, just telling my age is the 2000, the release of the 2000 dietary guidelines for Americans. So here we are almost 20 years later. And um, it was that initial connection at the State Dietetic Association in Connecticut as a baby dietitian that the boldness to go up to somebody and really say, I really want to work with you. I think what you're doing is really great. It really started, it really kicked off my career and it started everything. That's awesome. And that's such a great message for dietitians that aren't getting what they kind of want to fulfill them to really just make their own career happen. Yeah, for sure. Now, gosh, you can do, and I always say this, you can do anything as a dietitian. You really can. There are so many opportunities, um, whether they are more what I would consider a traditional path, let's say a clinical dietitian, which is still what a predominant number in our profession do every single day. And right now they're super important, right? They're on the front lines mm -hmm. of, um, you know, a significant public health crisis in the, in the clinical and hospital setting. 
Um, and also managing large scale food service, whether that's in the hospital or with school nutrition right now. And that's still very, very much a critical need um, in the context of a public health crisis. You can also be communicating directly with consumers every single day through digital and social media. And so certainly that's something that uh, now, given my cur- current role, uh, that, that I see as a great opportunity for any dietitian out there. And I feel like that's an area of dietetics that's kind of more up and coming is that nutrition communications component. But I think a lot of people are trying to figure out how do I get into that? How do I break into that? How do I find those places that I could work in that situation? Sure. I mean, but you also said like, hey, you can make your own path, right? So today anybody, and that's the that's the great part about this, is also the challenging part about this as a food and nutrition communicator is anybody can have a website today. Anybody can get on digital and social media and talk about anything they really want. But then being able to have some type of unique value uh, to a very, you know, to your community, whether that's in the physical community or in the digital and online space, um, that's where you, that's the part where you get to really uh, create your path. So is that, is that kind of the steps that you now, you know, thinking about dating yourself, communications, nutrition communications was probably <laughs> a little different, you know, 20 years ago. How did you kind of evolve and get more involved in that space and into your current role? I, I'm not an expert by any means, but, um, so, so after my dietetic internship where I did like the sub internship with, um, IFIC and then, uh, the, the, uh, with USDA with the, again, 2000 dietary guidelines for Americans is after that was <laughs> over and I finished that dietetic internship, uh, Yale New Haven hospital is I, of course, sometimes things really, I was dating somebody, right. That was in Washington, DC. So I was like, Oh, I really want to go to, be in Washington. And, um, and so I applied actually for um, three different roles. And um, one was with a PR firm. And that was, you know, pure what you would call food and nutrition communications, where you're working on behalf of, let's say it could be any type of client, a corporate client, a commodity board. Um, it could be anything really. And that job I did not get. Um, and it was really, you know, to be a, be an, essentially an associated PR firm. Um, I was told at the time that I was too polished, which I find hilarious. Oh, now. yeah. Um, yeah, it was interesting. Um, and then I also applied for, um, a job at IFIC and that is the job I ended up getting. And, um, and that's an interesting one too. It's, it's, it's about being at the right place at the right time. So we said networking was really important, but also recognizing when you are in the right place at the right time and then seizing an opportunity. So literally one person at the, at IFIC, I'll call it that International Food Information Council was leaving to go to another association, um, within Washington, DC. And so that meant that the person I was working with um, as part of my dietetic internship there um, was going to be moving up into kind of the next Mm -hmm. level role. And then literally that meant that there was a role for an entry level person. And I took that one. I was like, I'm in the right place at the right time. Literally, I was about ready to be out of money and going to go work at a temp agency. And this happened. Oh. And, I, and so I said, yes, I will take that job. Now, here's what I did wrong. All RDs out there, hear me loud and clear. I did not. I can't believe I'm saying this. I did not negotiate my salary at the time. Oh, 
Well, you were probably just going to have a job, right? I was literally, like I told you, I was like going to call the temp agencies there and be like, all right, I'll go do anything. Um, So I did not um, negotiate it. I ended up being able to make it up later, uh, which is important to know your value. Right. But in those early days, um, to your point, I was really happy to have a job. I was really happy to have actually the job I wanted to at the moment. Um, I wanted to work in food and nutrition communications. There weren't a lot of those types of jobs at the time. And um, and so I was thrilled to have the opportunity. And I worked there for 12 years. But I will tell you this this other little side note is um, I also interviewed for another role of which I did not get. And that was um, a role working at the time with the National Cancer Institute to work on a program called Five a Day. That was that was through them at the time. Yes. And that that program at the time was a partnership between the National Cancer Institute and the organization I work for now called the Produce for Better Health Foundation. So I, I often laugh. I didn't get the entry level role at Produce for Better Health Foundation, but 20 years later, I'm the president and CEO of that of that organization. So in the end, um, it does work out. Wow. That is a pretty cyclical, crazy outcome. Definitely. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So, so what was the original question? Well, the original just, question was you yeah. at Ifix. So how long did you work there then in your role? And did you move up within that company and then oh, moved yeah. on to PBH or yeah, for sure. So I had such amazing mentors um, at IFIC. It was like a great place to go from to your earlier point being a baby dietitian to then kind of growing up and almost like getting through. I would say college, um, if, if we looked at it like that. So um, I learned so much from fascinating people. And so remember, I said, the reason I loved what Sue Bora was doing when I first met her is because she was working with lots of different types of people. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, the experience was new and different all the time. And so whether it was other associations in Washington, whether it was academic researchers, whether it was the food industry, public health, government, and or media relations, I did all of that at IFIC on a number of food and nutrition issues, anything from at the time trans fat, um, which went on the label in 2006, um, all the way then to really handling the, you know, it's hard to believe that at one point we're like, gosh, I think people might be getting heavier. I'm not sure. Do we have an obesity Mm. problem? And really looking at the, what I would call the real burgeoning of that public health issue and all that, all the um, additional comorbidities that go along with that. So I remember that being significant um, to a number of stakeholders at the time. And then really talking about concepts and the science behind energy balance or what should go on the label. So um, I had the pleasure of actually doing a ton of consumer research at the International Food Information Council. In fact, started one at Help Start, I should say, one of the products, uh, consumer research products that that organization still does today. And it's the annual food and health survey, which looks mm-hmm. at annual um, attitudes of consumers on a number of different food, nutrition, food safety, um, agricultural related issues. And uh, it was just a great place because of the diverse type of work 
that we were doing, the diverse people and stakeholders that you had had an opportunity to interact with, which really expands your view of the world and horizons um, and understanding of different points of view and perspectives, but also because the, the staff, the, the people were just phenomenal. It was really like a family. And um, so I was there for 12 years and that was just an unbelievable experience. I told you though, that was like going through college, you know, college is sure. for one of the best times of your life. And then I got my first job, right? If you think about it like that. And I worked for, hold your breath, um, wait for it, is uh, I worked for the Monsanto company right after that. And so that, um, for those of you who may not be familiar, that's a very large agricultural seed company. Um, it was a very much vilified company. Mm-hmm. And some people may know very little about Monsanto, but recognize the name and recognize maybe even some of the controversy associated with uh, some of the quote pro- seed products of that company, which um, for many uh, Monsanto would be synonymous with with the words with the acronym GMOs or genetically modified organisms. So I went straight from this, you know, environment which was so very. Um, you know, interesting, almost a true learning experience, something new every day to really being on the front lines and then being exposed to, you know, what I would call large scale corn and soybean agriculture on a global scale. And that was a, that too was a phenomenal experience where I dealt with, you know, crisis management, issues preparedness, um, really connecting the food and nutrition um, communities with the agricultural communities, along with the culinary and retail communities. I got an opportunity to create my own path there. Um, so many would maybe consider an organization like that to be, you know, very, um, rigid. It wasn't, it was like working at a, because it is, or it was a technology company just for agriculture. And so, um, they were super supportive of innovative ideas. And that's why they brought a registered dietitian. They were looking for a registered dietitian to help them communicate about some really challenging topics. And we're also seeking that external or outside perspective to help them be better. And that should be um, applauded from the dietitian community, mm-hmm. the fact that they were seeking that expertise, but the fact that they were also very open to different um, ideas and perspectives. So um, that was an amazing experience. That was an interesting time to be at Monsanto, for sure. It was. I, was, I mean, that's when... Um, a lot of there was a lot of what you would call state uh, ballot initiatives on GMO labeling, for example. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was actually an issue that I was brought into. Uh, but I always go back to there's these inflection points um, in your career. And one of those things I said, you know, we talked about networking. We talked about recognizing when you're in the right place at the right time and how you can kind of seize the opportunity Um, I mentioned that Monsanto at the time, they're now merged with another uh, large company that a lot of people would know from either the healthcare space or the agricultural space called Bayer Crop Science and or Bayer as a parent company. Mm -hmm. And um, but at the time, Monsanto was really interested in, I said, hearing those external perspectives. 
So there was an exercise where the um, C-suite leaders, you know, the CEO, the COO, um, the CFO, the CMO, like all those C-suite leaders were wanting to hear these perspectives firsthand. And so I was asked as a food and nutrition communicator and specialist inside the organization, actually the first dietitian to be hired as a full-time employee for a large-scale agricultural seed company to bring in some points of view that I felt were needed, you know, the C-suite really needed to hear. And so sure enough, they schedule my, they schedule my stakeholders to come in on the week that I am on vacation. Oh no. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, really? <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> so, so I was able to move one of them, but then the, the other one I couldn't move. And so it might sound a little radical to some folks, but I actually decided that I would just fly back from Florida uh, to St. Louis where I live and where this company was um, headquartered just for, to meet my stakeholder and uh, take her to dinner and then go on and, and do this interview uh, the following day. And then I just fly right back to Florida, which I did. And so it was a great interview. And but you're sitting around a table with all these C-suite leaders of, you know, a major global seed company. And I felt compelled to share my point of view, which was somewhat consistent with this leader. But the, the conversations just started going and everybody was so open. And I, I really spoke up and, and made my point of view known. And interestingly, I get a call after I come back from vacation. And it's from not the CEO, but the, at the time, the COO and president of North America. And so-and-so would like to see you in his office. I thought, oh, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> I really did it this time. Um, and so I get to that office and I think, oh my gosh. And actually it was a great conversation. And the gentleman at the time said, you know, I was sitting in that meeting and I was listening to everyone. And when you spoke, I said to someone, is that person in our organization or is it someone else external we brought in? They said, no, that person works for us. That She's new this year. And he said, I got to talk to her. She clearly has ideas. Wow. And so he said, if you could tell me one thing that we could do, to change everything, what would it be? And this is, this is a point where no matter what role you're in, you know, or where you find yourself is, you really need to have, you need to know what your ideas are and you need to be able to articulate them. And because you never know when somebody in this case for that particular company, really important, wants to hear your perspective, is ready to listen and you have the floor and it's an opportunity to certainly help the person before you um, that's asking, but also maybe to advance your career. And mm -hmm. in that moment, um, Monsanto, a lot of people don't know this, they had a vegetable seed business. And the vegetable seed business was really about just 10% of the the you know the the overall revenue that would come into the business, but it was all quote, non-GMO. And so it wasn't seen as a significant moneymaker, but for anybody in food and nutrition, 
it w- it was like the thing we should actually be focusing yeah. on like all the time. And so, you know, it was like a scene out of un- the unusual suspects at the very end <laughs> where all of a sudden you're looking around and you're thinking, I know the answer. And I looked and there were two posters on the wall. And one was the Seminus seed business, which is open field fruit, vegetable agriculture and melons. And the other was De Reuter, which is the, um, the, what would be called protected culture, greenhouse kind of, uh, uh, vegetable agriculture. And I said, see those two posters over there. And it's like, yes, there's the unusual suspects moment. <laughs> and I said, I said, that is worth about 10% of our revenue. But it's about, it's probably worth about 90% in terms of helping the broader world understand what we do. And that's my idea. And I have more details on that, right? And so, um, so he thought about it and we had a great conversation. Okay. Here's the next part of that story. It's a little drawn out, but my dad always told me, you know, you really should learn golf. And I was like, Ugh. I don't really, it's like boring. (laughs) So um, I actually teach group fitness on the side. And so moving through time and space, like on my own, like with my legs and stuff, that's appealing, but um, golf, I don't know. Not so much. (laughs) Not so much. So literally, do you know the next, like, I don't know. I feel like it was the same week that that same business leader calls his, his actually his executive um, assistant calls and says, this person would like you to be on their United way golf team. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, it's a four man team. Okay. So it would be this executive leader myself. And I didn't know who else at the time. And I was like, Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> and I found out, you know, this particular leader was very passionate about, um, elevating women leaders in the business. And so his chief of staff was a woman. Um, and so was his chief financial officer for North America was a woman. And so that's who I would be playing golf with for the first time in my entire life. (laughs) And, um, so I called my dad, I said, you know how you said that, I should yeah, I really should learn how to golf. I go, I got to learn in like two weeks. <laughs> so, and so um, I will never forget. I'm like, well, if anything else, I'm going to go get out, go get a new outfit. So I'm going to really look the part, For here, sure. you know? And, um, <laughs> and so I got a really cute outfit and then, um, and then I was trying to learn how to play golf in two weeks. And my dad started saying, well, you know, this is what like the golf pros, I go, dad, I just need to learn. And this is kind of a lesson in of itself. You just have to make contact. I do. I just need to make contact with this ball so I don't look like a total idiot. And um, so on the on that on that in that United Way golf tournament, I sat. These two ladies were like, "Whatever." We see this person all the time. You sit in the cart with him. And so I rode around in this oh. golf cart for like you know however long golf takes. It takes several hours. Mm-hmm. And just talked with him and asked him questions and tried to really understand more from the business than my little job uh, within the organization. And at the end of that day, after I made a complete fool of myself on the golf course, <laughs> for which at one point this leader said, You know what's really interesting about you? <laughs> I said, What? <laughs> he said, My outfit? No. He said, um, 
He said, you just don't seem to be getting frustrated at all about this. About the golf game. <laughs> about the golf. Clear. And so little, I had, you also have to just laugh at yourself because literally I, he was trying his best to help me learn. Right. And, and I was, it was good. Like there was one of the women was super great at golf and then the other one was more like me. So I didn't, oh, you know, good. so that was good in that moment. But, um, he, he was impressed that I wasn't getting flustered, but rather I was just like, I wasn't going to go out there and be a golf pro. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like that's not in two weeks. Let's be real with ourselves. Okay. <laughs> but I, I think I sunk a couple putts and I was like, well, see, this is what I'm about. I'm about closing the deal. And like, just <laughs> laughing at yourself and not being too intimidated. And so at the end of that whole thing, this person says, you know what? I have had the opportunity to spend the full day with you. And you are really genuine and you're really interested and you're not selfish. And he said, I'm going to talk to your boss and I want you to have any job you want in the company. Oh my goodness. Now, not any job, right? Yeah. But, but, yeah. but like if you so, wanted to create something. Right. Which I did, which was, remember I said about the vegetable business being like mm-hmm. really important. So I ended up out of that whole thing becoming the global corporate engagement lead for the vegetable business. Wow. <laughs> and so and so the point in all of that, right? If we can recap from the beginning a little bit is you have to network. You have to know when to take an opportunity and you can't be afraid. And when you get the opportunity, you have to respond and you have to speak up and lean into that situation and go for it. And you can't really be too concerned with how you look and you have to know what you know best and also laugh at, you know, and, and also know what you don't know. Was I going to learn golf? No, no. (laughs) But was I still, was I going to let that hold me back from the experience and also just getting to know these new people and understand them and then share my point of view and laugh at myself when appropriate. And where did it, and then I ended up having, you know, if I didn't negotiate for that first, um, very first job I had, well, I made up for it in that three hour golf situation. That's a very good perspective. (laughs) Like I made up for it in a three hour Horrible golfs. Not horrible. <laughs> no, it was. It, was. it, it wasn't pretty. It, I looked cute, but other than that, no, it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> cute. <laughs> um, but but the reason I bring that up, just to bring us now full circle, is the fact that at IFIC, I had worked with the Produce for Better Health Foundation as a collaborator. At at Monsanto or now Bear, I worked with the Produce for Better Health Foundation or PBH as a corporate supporter. I interviewed for the Produce for Better Health Foundation entry-level job 20 years ago. So you also have to take time and kind of reflect. And the next point or that next moment was I had, they only had one CEO before me and the person had been there 25 years. Her name was Elizabeth Pavanka. She was a dietitian and she was really great. She was a PhD, like super smart science. Mm. And I saw a note that she was retiring. And I thought to myself, well, first of all, I've known her for 25 years. I hope she's all right. All so right. I actually, I, I like called her because she's young. She's young, you know? And so like in her fifties or something, maybe. 
And so mm-hmm. I said, Hey, are you good? Like, what's going on? She's like, you know what? I'm just done. My kids are out of college. I just, I'm ready to retire. And I think I'm one of those people that's like actually going to retire. And I, and so, you know, I was like, well, that's good to hear. And, and then I said, well, do you think that I might be a good replacement or a good successor? I said, I'm not a PhD, but I have other skills. And she said, you know, actually, I think you'd be, you know, really great. I'm happy. The search committee is meeting tomorrow. Oh my! Do goodness. you have your resume ready? I'm happy to forward it. <laughs> like this is like a Forrest Gump episode situation. It is. So I'm like, yeah, let me get that to you. I didn't have it ready, but I made it. I like, you know, got it like, ready. I got it ready, real as best as I could, really fast. I and then I got the interview. There were obviously more finalists, and and I don't know who they were, but but here yeah, I am. It yeah. doesn't matter. Here I am. <laughs> yeah, here I am doing this, being president and CEO of this organization, which really for a dietitian is a dream job. Every single day, I have to think about how is this organization going to effectively um, communicate the health and well-being benefits of fruits and vegetables, and what can I do to make this relevant to consumers? That is that's like it. so. That's exciting. Like yeah. as a dietitian, that's so exciting. Yeah, it's it's totally an awesome, awesome job. Running a uh, nonprofit charitable organization is a whole new um, set of skills, uh, and it's, it can be very challenging. But from a leadership perspective, but I've learned so very much. Um, so you know, when I came on board, here's here's another one of those little tidbit stories is I knew I wasn't the PhD scientist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I knew like, gosh, fruits and vegetables should be having like a moment right now. Like the stars are aligned, all of the the trends, the product innovation, the marketplace, like what for what food and nutrition people really want, like what consumers really want, where the world's headed, plants, fruits totally. and vegetables. Yeah. And um so I took a really bold approach in the interview and I said, listen, if you're ready to change, I'm your person. But if you're not, I'm not. Hmm. And they said, no, we want to change. And so then you had all your ideas, right? And you laid them all out and then you became the change candidate versus the, I want to do everything. But you, but that was authentic to who I was. Do you know? Sure. So you have to be authentic. Yeah. And, um, and they were ready for a change. So, uh, to, you know, you come on board and you have to learn a whole new industry and the fruit and vegetable industry, you would think it's like super simple. It's actually really different than large scale agriculture or packaged goods, or it's just, it's really diverse. Um, and so I took some time to, to interview everyone and try to get to know them and what they wanted and then um, we decided to, you know, embark on this new branding effort. And it was fabulous to see the fruit and vegetable industry come together. And with that, uh, the tagline was no longer five a day or more matters, which were previous kind of calls, consumer call to action statements that PBH had before. But it was have a plant, which is really an invitation for consumers to not just eat, but enjoy fruit and vegetables, the original plants, and to experience um, greater emotional connectivity with their, with their food. And 
this was rooted, this whole movement is rooted in not just food and nutrition science, but also in behavioral research. And so we did a lot of work um, in a short period of time to come up with that particular um, call to action. And it's a year old almost uh, to the date. Is it? I was wondering, I thought it was about a year that it's came out. Yeah. Yeah. I like the connectivity to like where your food comes from, not just eating it, but where it comes from, how it grows, that type of stuff with that whole perspective of the campaign. Oh, yeah. I mean, the great thing about this is that, um, you know, we also say that it's food rooted in a better mood. Mm -hmm. And um, this speaks to, I mentioned, just all the research that we've been able to do. And the research um, was informed by behavioral science and looking at what factors make the greatest impact on food, on fruit and vegetable consumption or increasing consumption. And it's actually not knowledge. And I think as dietitians, we get caught up in that a little bit, you know, like, and you heard this too, I'm Mm. sure it's like, all right, let me tell everybody like everything I know about food and nutrition, because we get a lot of great information as part of our school, et cetera. Um, But it's, it's going beyond that. And so when you look at the behavioral science literature, what you see is that the greatest impact on consumption is when we move from knowledge to feeling and then to doing or acting. And so we came up this, with this behavioral framework called know, K-N-O-W, feel and do. And so if we unpack that a little bit further, what we find is that knowledge is like, you know, like uh, high in vitamin C, uh, you know, that kind of thing, maybe, you know, facts, skills, facts and figures kind of stuff. And then feeling is really about immediacy. And so what I see is a lot of our, the way we're communicating about fruits and vegetables before is like, you know, you should really be eating more of this because if you don't, you're going to die and you'll die of a really horrible disease. And so I'm just going to shame you into doing this and make you feel really bad because I know you're not doing it. And um, that's, you know, kind of an exaggeration, of course, but, but really we wanted to turn that on its head and say, okay, what if we were able to tap into the emotional well-being benefits of fruit and vegetables? And so there's some emerging research and we did some additional research as well that demonstrated the more fruit and vegetables consumers ate per week and then per day, the greater reported psychological measures of happiness and well-being and or overall life satisfaction. And so this doesn't come from the food and nutrition literature. This comes from the psychological behavioral science literature. And so our, our data showed the same thing. And we said, wow, there's really something we can tap into here. So we, so we worked then with a group of, of behavioral scientists and then established a relationship with our own chief behavioral scientist. His name is Jason Reese. We, we looked at, we said, let's create this behavioral framework very simplistically, know, feel, and do. And then feel is really two parts. If we know it, you know, knowledge is facts and figures. The feeling part is twofold and it includes immediate emotion. Um, fruit, for example, is often associated with joyous moments. Vegetables aren't joyous, um, but they can be other things. <laughs> they are very smart 
and people feel super smart when they when they eat them. Meaning, I'm amazing because I just used a knife and cut something up and I prepared it and I ate it and it tastes great. So there, this is very kind of no dust type of stuff maybe for us dietitians, but it's really important to think about how do we tap into the immediate emotions and um, what people are trying to accomplish from a health and wellness perspective. But I said it was twofold. So the other side of that is about cultivating enjoyment or craving. And so it would be like the difference between immediate emotions, meaning lust, and then the idea of love, the idea that we crave to be with somebody, we seek to spend most of our time with them, uh, we pursue them. And so that's the love, lasting love, hopefully part. And so if we were going to transform or create a love letter, it would include um, moments of lust, but it also would have this like enjoyment element. And that would come from repeated positive experiences with fruits and vegetables. And even if we make mistakes, meaning something tastes horrible, it doesn't work out, but we tried, we're willing to, to try again. And so that takes repeated um, exposure, which can lead to habit. And so if you look at the behavioral science literature on habits, there are several things that have to go into that to create a true habit. It's not just time like we often talk about. Um, and then this doing part, that's where the habit really becomes part of routine. And so have a plant. We were really hopeful that it would check all the boxes, meaning it would reinforce the healthfulness of fruits and vegetables and the consumers like, yes, I need to eat more of those. Um, it would evoke some type of emotion and have a plant was very much like other at the time we tested it was very much like other movements that were happening. It evoked some kind of emotion or alignment with value proposition, not just with health benefits or well-being benefits, but it aligns with my values and or trends in the marketplace. I eat plant based and or better for the planet, better for people kind of concept. And then it also inspired people to do. And for an organization like PBH, which is an educational foundation, the doing isn't just in the, I'm going to, you know, pick and choose and purchase and make fruit and vegetables as part of my meals or snacks. It also meant sharing on digital and social media. And you talked about that, or we talked about that much earlier in our, in our conversation, the idea that there's a lot of opportunities there for dietitians today to get into the consumer space and the digital and social media space. And so what we were thinking of is how do we align with consumers, in this case, particularly millennial and Gen Z consumers, not come from a finger wagging space, but provide an invitation and through a digital persona and our content, which we would shift to focus on more emotions and usage concepts or the doing the action is how can we generate greater movement and sharing, not just of our own content, but sharing among a digital community, essentially creating digital advocacy. And that's really how have a plant was born. That's some of the behavioral research behind it. It checked all those boxes, no feel do, but then a year later, I can report that we are seeing movement. Certainly, we need more people to be part of the movement. And as a dietitian, you know, fruits and vegetables are like the one thing that we all agree on, you know? Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. 
So if you think of like your call to action to the dietitians that are listening today, what would you like to tell them to get involved? Yeah. So first of all, if you're on digital and social media, hashtag have a plan. I mean, that's where it's at. We see greater engagement um, with um, posts that actually include that hashtag. So just get involved in the... The first step is to get involved in the conversation today. And you can do that as a part of you know, just like your personal um, channels Mm -hmm. and or your personal quote branded channels, meaning you're a digital or social media influencer out there and, and you're imparting a lot of great um, content to your own communities that's consistent with your brand. So be a part of the conversation and invite us into your world. Allow us to help amplify your content as relates to fruits and vegetables. Um, The next step is we actually um, love amplifying other people's content because there's so much great stuff out there. So if you want to us to amplify your content and a lot of our handles are at fruits and veggies is we're happy to do that. And so we even feature submitted content, for example, in our newsletters, et cetera. And, And collectively, our digital following is more than a million consumers. So for any digital or social media influencer, like in the dietitian space out there, you know, certainly there are people that have more followers than us, but, but we're really hoping to not just inspire with Have a Plant, but also get more, quote, ambassadors and demonstrate our willingness to amplify and share that content with the fruit and veggie loving universe. Um, and then we have a program where it's like, all right, we're committed to each other here. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a full year. And um, for those those digital and social influencers that are really interested, for example, in meeting the fruit and vegetable industry, engaging with them regularly, um, providing content and really being an ambassador for the Have a Plant movement, uh, we have all fruit and vegetable ambassadors in action. And so we have 24 of them this year. We doubled our class from last year, which was the first inaugural class. And they are amazing champions in doing a lot of work. Now, what if that's not you, right? And so you're working in the retail space or you're working in the clinical space or you're working in school food service um, or lots of other areas. Remember, we said RDs can do anything is, Mm -hmm. you know, we love your ideas. So we have something that we're working on right now for retail. We're thinking about food service. School food service is like super interested in creating um, little half a plant ambassadors, which is totally cute. Um, so yeah, so we're <laughs> my point is we're open to your ideas. So, you know, reach out and let us know what you think we need to be doing um for the fruit and veggie loving universe and or to create more fruit and veggie lovers. Um those on the front lines know best what their communities need and um know best how to, you know, pour into your community. Not all uh, communities are the same. So, you know, Follow us on digital and social, right? Share your content and share your ideas. And then if you're wanting to, you know, establish a long-term commitment and make this a significant part of your own platforms, you know, we have a path for that as well. That's so wonderful. I think, I feel like everyone knows it's there, but they don't quite know all the different legs of how they can become part of it. So I think it's great that you shared that. Yeah. Okay, cool. No, but that's great feedback for us too, right? Like, Yes, yes. And I actually you know, work in a retail write. space and I don't think that that's something a lot of dietitians in the retail space know know about those collaboration opportunities. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, let's make sure we talk more about that. Um, you yeah. and I even to, to think about the best way. We, we have a whole program geared towards retail dietitians, for example, Ooh. or those dietitians working in retail. And uh, so, yeah, would love your thoughts on how we can uh, be a better partner there. 
That'd be great. That'd be great. Well, I I could probably talk to you all day, but I know you are on a schedule. So I definitely want to be mindful of that time. So I have a few final questions for you. Yes. Rapid um, fire. Yes. Share with me <laughs> your your favorite foods that you enjoy. Okay. Um, my favorite food is I'm gonna I'm gonna throw every dietitian um cliche out that I can <laughs> and you should know. And I work for fruit and vegetables. Yes. So obviously I love I love salads. I really do love salads, but you know what? I really have a soft place in my heart for double cheeseburgers and nachos. Yes. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I love fruits salad. and vegetables. It does. It does. It does. What's it does. There's room for it all. What's some beverages that you enjoy? Beverages. Um, well, I'm not a big drinker, but Kim Crawford was on my list after a week of homeschooling my kids. So um, <laughs> that was there. And so that's like drink your fruit um, opportunity. But really my favorite True. beverages, it's it's water, man. I'm into just straight up hydration. Oh, water. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, scents or smells that you enjoy? I love spicy smells. Um, so when I say spicy, not just like a Mexican spicy smell, um, but what I mean is um, like in the perfume realm, like mm. spice smells, woodsy smells, more masculine smells, less floral. And then what kind of things do you like listening to as far as when you're not working or you just have music in the background? What kind of things do you enjoy? Oh God. Well, I told you I teach, I teach group fitness. Yes. Um, so I have a lot of that in the background. Um, that kind of music, a little clubby, maybe. Um, I love all music. Honestly, I really do. I love all music. I'm less of a TV person. So, um, anything from, you know, country to club to rap to, I mean, I love it all. So I'm a music lover. What kind of classes do you teach? What kind of fitness classes? Yeah. So a lot of, um, an organ, you know, company called Les Mills. So body oh, pump, sure. body step, body combat, tone. Um, those classes are what I teach. I've been doing this for, you know, like I said, I'm super old. So 25 years. And just, you know, this is like killing me not seeing my gym friends. Um, oh, sure. of course I can do online, but I not miss my people. I miss my people. Yeah. Um, and Wendy, what brings you joy in life? What brings me joy in life is really seeing other people happy and fulfilled. So that could be my family or it could even be professionally. You know, my staff, I'm really pouring into them right now and making sure that they feel like what we're doing gives them great purpose, right? Supporting the fruit and vegetable industry and supporting consumers on their journey to health and making sure that fruits and vegetables are like a significant part of that. Or even when it's the, you know, the groups that we're talking about right now, like other dietitians and how do you find your path that keeps, you know, that keeps you interested, but also keeps you fulfilled and keeps you growing. Um, every opportunity that's before you um, really does um, kind of build on itself. And so if you have the opportunity to take, take a moment and have the perspective and look back at, at all those moments, right? That you have an opportunity to take advantage of, to help someone else, to pour into someone else, and then to maybe even advance your own thinking perspective and even maybe your career is 
That's what really gives me joy is when I see people kind of go through that journey and uh, feel really fulfilled and really proud of the things that they're able to accomplish. Well, thank you so much for being my joy today and sharing everything with me today as well. Well, you're a breath of fresh air. This is great. I I saw some of your stuff. It's like all positive. I'm into it. I really enjoyed my conversation with Wendy. She is very inspirational. She's definitely forged a professional pathway, meeting all of her passions. And I think this truly can speak to all of us. I know I will start thinking more about what my big ideas are and always be open to any situation because you never know where it will lead. I encourage everyone to get involved with the Have a Plant movement and start by going to fruitsandveggies.org for more information. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.